financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to a remix edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic, joined once again, second day in a row by Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic. He covers the New England Patriots, used to cover the uh, Buffalo Bills for many years, so he can speak about the AFC East all day long. Matthew, thanks for doing this again. Yeah, this is uh, like a, a mulligan from our our golf show yesterday. Uh, there were some, uh, I think I'm, I'm letting myself off the hook by calling them technical difficulties. Uh, although there was a microphone issue in which we could hear both you and Jonah Javad quite clearly. I was, um, uh, I was in turn one of the, of the Kentucky Derby and, and you guys were in the backstretch. Uh, I was, uh, I needed to shout or something, but um, we're going to do this again because we talked about a lot of fun stuff that uh, there's probably no way in hell anybody made it to the end of, of that mess yesterday. If you were able to sit and listen to Matthew and Jonah, it was a great conversation. It was my long windedness um, from a, um, from a distance. You were, yeah. off I was, I was a long, speaking. I was far away, but not shouting. Now I can almost hear an echo. Is that right? Actually, not anymore. I heard it for a second. This is this is a professional operation right Christ here. Almighty. Picking up where we left off. Uh, this is Tim Graham and Friends, formerly brought to you by CTBK, CPAs <laughs> and Business Consultants. Um, Matthew, we, we talked about some fun things yesterday if you're a Buffalo Bills fan. Uh, number one, you know what? We didn't talk about the Bills much. We talked about the Patriots. So let's back into this a little bit. Let's give a little fresh material off the top before we delve back into uh, New England Patriots fans and their side-eye glances that they're giving to Bill Belichick these days. And also, to your, uh, we'll, we'll also talk about um, your thoughts on Northeastern goalie Devin Levi who has been on the minds of Sabres fans uh, recently. You saw him play. Uh, you've been following his career because you're based out yonder. Uh, but first, what are your thoughts on these Buffalo Bills so far this offseason? Uh, the Von Miller acquisition, the Stefan Diggs extension, Roger Saffold, uh, the departures on the coaching staff. I guess from a holistic standpoint, do you think the Bills have gotten better? Than in, than they were in 2021. I would say so. I think Brandon Bean continues to show that he is among the best general managers. I think in football, he's in the the top tier of general managers. He's among the class 
of GMs that clearly knows what they are doing. <laughs> and there's another class of general managers in the NFL that continue to trip over themselves. And after years of Bills fans dealing with that group of general managers, they have one who is smart and appears to be taking advantage of the team's window, but also taking advantage of this positive momentum they have from a reputation standpoint and adding talent to the roster. I don't know that they're necessarily getting major discounts on any of these players. You know, Von Miller probably doesn't consider the Bills three years ago, but he also probably doesn't choose the Bills this year if they don't offer the contract that they offered. So they have a better reputation, but it's not reputation alone that that's winning them these things. And they're they're going for it. So it has been a a headline grabbing offseason, I think, for the Buffalo Bills. And one that I've been somewhat surprised how quickly in the minds of fans this offseason has helped turn the page from how the season ended. Because I think this the main question still about this team is how they'll perform, or maybe not even how they'll perform, how the head coach will perform in those big moments. Uh, and that, I think, is the next chapter of this Bills team because they now have the quarterback. They have arguably the best quarterback in football right now, you know, one of the top two or three. They have a loaded roster, uh, as loaded a roster as you can have when you have that quarterback and you're about to pay him big money. And you could argue they should have won the Super Bowl last year. And if not for a calamity of errors that started, you know, with their head coach. And that's a couple years in a row and in a few big spots where I think that has been the case, not to that level in 2020. But, you know, so they've now reached the point as a franchise where they have to ask themselves, not necessarily is it Super Bowl or bust, because when you have Josh Allen, you'll be in the mix for, you know, on a yearly basis if he keeps playing the way that he that he's been playing. But what pressure, you know, lands on the coach and others when you don't hit that goal? Because two years in a row, they were, you know, a legitimate contender for the Super Bowl and came up short. So it's is it fair, Matthew, in that vein to and also include the playoff loss in Houston? I think or is so. Is that too far removed? I think that's fair to include because it's part of the record and it was a blown lead. And I, I think you get a pass on that one if you're Josh Allen in your first start. Uh, he did not play well down the stretch in that game. But the blown lead was you know, tough, I think, for, for people to swallow. They weren't a legitimate Super Bowl contender, most likely that year. But once you're in, you never know. Weird things well, have happened. I don't happened. mean I missed mean, out on an opportunity of the Super Bowl. I mean, more along the lines of Sean McDermott's inability to get the car in the garage uh, with a with a fairly comfortable lead, most teams would think. Um, yeah, I think it, it adds to his, you know, whether you would add it to a list of, you know, shortcomings for him i think it builds the picture you know you'd like to think that that is also ancient history younger coach has you know the the uh, the arc of his career development is is going to rise a lot more steep so maybe you think 
well, okay, Sean McDermott's not even close to being the same coach he was back then, but yet. Yeah, some similar things end up happening. The last game they played, they had two leads after the two-minute warning. Yeah, I think it's it's part of it because they haven't quite gotten over the hump. And he has been a coach, I think, since the beginning, or, you know, since he started coaching with the Bills, that has learned a lot from his own mistakes and has – corrected some of his early errors and you know lapses in philosophy or judgment you know he has been willing to change and adapt and i think that's to his credit and those types of moments are you know crazy pressure packed snap second moments that can define start to define your career you know we were at the owners meetings a couple weeks ago and i think this is where the national picture of what the bills are is a little bit different than how people understand it, who understand the market and understand the franchise and where it's been. Because I had a few people ask me if, you know, they thought, or if I thought that, you know, if the Bills missed the playoffs or if they slipped up, if McDermott was under any sort of pressure. And I don't believe that at all. Uh, I don't think he's under that. I think he puts himself under a tremendous amount of pressure. And I think, you know, he certainly has the urgency to get it done. I just don't think ownership is even remotely close to thinking that they need a different head coach. Things can change really fast, uh, but where they were and where he and Brandon Bean have gotten them has built him a nice long runway to correct some of those things. You know, they're still, you know, I think they still have the quarterback. They still have the core in place. The window is still open, but missing opportunities stings when you're watching, you know, the Bengals, uh, you know, get to the the Super Bowl, right? You know, when second year quarterback, young head coach, that's where you can excuse some of that stuff away. But then when you see these other teams with the same perceived shortcomings of inexperience, uh, young quarterback, making it happen, they're missed opportunities that you just, you don't get them back. You might get other ones, but you don't get those ones back. And, you know, the AFC is getting tougher. And so I think still years, probably multiple years away from legitimate pressure for McDermott. You saw, you know, it's like Andy Reid in Philadelphia, you know, going to all those championship games and never quite making it happen uh, for the Eagles. You know, it took a long time because if you stay competitive and you stay in the playoffs, and that was in Philadelphia, in Buffalo, where I think Terry Pagula and Kim Pagula are very proud of what they've done with the Bills, uh, rightfully so. And they're proud to have gotten that hire right, and they have gotten a lot of those coaching hires wrong with both of their teams. So I think this is the group they're going in into, you know, the season with for years to come, and they think, Uh, the odds are in their favor that one of these years everything will click but to me that's the biggest question with the bills because that is where things left off right that's what doomed them in the playoffs wasn't talent it wasn't a specific position where you said man if they had more of this yeah a better pass rush would have helped but they couldn't have played a better football game certainly the the defense could have held up better at the end um but 
that wasn't, you know, talent wasn't the problem. The quarterback played as well as almost any quarterback has probably ever played in the postseason. So, you know, between the end of the season and now, have they gotten better? Yes. You know, I'd say marginally well, because they were the already really good. What about the coaching aspect of it? I don't think that we can assume that uh, that Josh Allen will not experience an adjustment phase without Brian Dable, uh, without Shea Tierney, uh, without other support staff around him. Yes, they're bringing back, back Matt Barkley, and, and Mitchell Trubisky was there for only a year, so I don't, I don't think that they got that closely attached. But Davis Webb uh, obviously was a big enough loss that the Bills uh, were, were willing to make him their quarterback's coach to keep him close to uh, Josh Allen. That didn't happen because, well, for obvious reasons, uh, Davis Webb wants to continue as a football player. The money, even as a deep backup quarterback, uh, is way better than as uh, an assistant coach. Uh, and coaching will be waiting for him when he's done with his playing days. But I think that that just goes to show, and, and also through the comments that, that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have made, is that keeping their quarterback as comfortable as possible, and that doesn't mean from, a, from an offensive line standpoint. It means from a Tuesday through Saturday standpoint, uh, was is they recognize that as incredibly significant and there is a large void of those those voices uh, that are going to be around him on a day-to-day -day basis yeah not just the voices but i would just on sunday alone the play calling i you know people love to to play monday morning quarterback monday morning coordinator with what brian dable did you know on sunday but I don't think you can argue that he was a major positive for Josh Allen in this offense over the last handful of years. And, you know, Sean McDermott's pretty hands off with the offense and, you know, talking about right. learning about from his has been, he has, has been, been true hands off with the offense and with Brian Dable, not there and a first year offensive coordinator, a first time play caller is Sean McDermott going to be tempted to, get involved there, whereas he wouldn't with Leslie Frazier. Well, hell, he would. He did with Leslie Frazier. And he actually, the he did. calling away from Leslie Frazier. Um, of course, Sean McDermott has the wherewithal, the backing of, of a defensive experience to do that. But, you know, we, we know that Sean McDermott would get prickly at times regarding his evaluations of Brian Dable's uh, calling of run versus pass and, and, the, and the balance there in the offense. So if you have... If you have uh, Sean McDermott's thumb on the scale uh, when it comes to the offensive play calling, even if it's even if it's just a bit, uh, that could be a significant change. That's a good point. I had I was about to say I'd kind of forgotten about how impatient Sean McDermott got with Brian Dable at times, and how you know by the end of last season there was you know I don't know if you would go as far as to call it a rift, but, you know, there was some tension, I think, between those two. Um, certainly a little bit more public criticism from Sean McDermott than we would expect. So, yeah, I think that's something to watch because, like I said, I don't think he's under, I don't think he's coaching for his job or anywhere close to it, but all of the pressure that starts to mount with expectations It'll be curious, you know, I'll be curious to see how he behaves with all of that. Like you mentioned, is he going to get more involved on offense? Is he going to feel a need to, you know, pressure Ken Dorsey to be a little bit uh, different? I think the way they ended the season on offense, you would 
think that nobody would want to touch a thing. Just let Josh Allen do what he does. But how much that Brian Dable loss is felt is going to be a major storyline, I think. Because, yes, Ken Dorsey keeping him in the mix, I think, was a big deal. But you don't know what he's going to be like as a play caller. You don't know if he'll be as effective. That is a very difficult skill in the NFL and one that, you know, I don't think comes easily for everybody. And Joe Brady is a nice get in theory as the quarterback's coach, but I don't really know what went south in Carolina. And, you know, I know he's a bright name, you know, a name that people know because I got five head coaching interviews last year. He was a hot name. He was a legit hot name. And and he's the quarterback's coach. He's the Bills' second choice for quarterback's coach. So in theory, I think he's he's definitely a good quarterback's coach, given the what you just mentioned, that he was, you know, pretty close to being a head coach. Yeah. But who knows? Plan B. Who knows, right? I mean, we don't really know exactly how good of a, a quarterback's coach he'll be how well that relationship will work with Josh Allen. A lot of variables there. He's, he'll be comfortable with Ken Dorsey. He's also already developed as a quarterback. So I think that's a big deal. This isn't two years yeah. ago where he's – I think we're beyond the point you of think, asking the you, question. Are you saying, are you saying it's safe, it would have been safe to bring back uh, David Culley? <laughs> you know, David Culley, I think, would have been a bridge too far. I think that could have caused a bit of – of regression. Josh would have been having flashbacks to 2018. He would have been launching the ball downfield to Reggie Gilliam. Uh, he would have had, he would have had some strange impulses to pitch the pitch, the ball. Um, so I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have gone that far, but I think we're beyond the point of people wondering whether he's good or whether he's going to regress or of course, there's ebbs and flows in every career. He could have a down year, uh, but there's still a foundation there that Brian Dable helped build that I think will serve him well, regardless of who's the quarterback's coach and the offensive coordinator. But play calling is a big deal in the NFL, and not everybody's very, you know, really good at it right away. So how the offense adjusts, whether there is a bit of an adjustment period, some new receivers, uh, you know, not having Cole Beasley as the security blanket, not having Emmanuel Sanders, a little bit of, you know, shakeup on the offensive line. This is that next stage of, uh, you know, Josh Allen's career where he's now the one elevating everybody else. He still has a lot of talent around him. He still has Stephon Diggs, but they're in that window of get it done now because Von Miller's locked up for three years. Are you going to get three good years out of him? You know, is he going to be worth that number? two years from now we'll see uh stefan diggs is locked up on a huge contract you know you're not going to have as much financial flexibility depending on where the cap is so that's where i think the urgency exists not for sean mcdermott's job for his window to get the ultimate prize and to to validate everything that they've done they he deserves all the credit in the world for getting them to this point and i think he might be the biggest variable for them getting from where they are to being a Super Bowl team, and now they're going to go into the season as a Super Bowl favorite, not just a Super Bowl dark horse or a darling Super Bowl pick. They're going to be one of the, the favorites to win it. They're going to show up in a lot of preview magazines. 
or if magazines still exist, preview articles <laughs> on on the remember uh, those <laughs> on on the internet. Uh, I imagine if we do a, a roundtable panel of athletic writers, the Bills will be a popular pick to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl, even with all the talent in the conference. But it is a tough conference, so I think they're a, they're in a fascinating stage of uh, you know their. I don't even want to call it rebuild because everything's already built. They're just in a fascinating stage of the franchise and of their respective careers. But I think Brandon Bean has done everything you could have asked a general manager to do coming off that type of loss in the playoffs because he has aggressively addressed a few spots that were problems. And we'll see what they do in the draft. But I'd say the roster is better. The coaching staff, you know, to be determined. Okay. So let me ask you this. Here's a fun uh, thought exercise. Tell me who you think will be. Uh, let me phrase it this way. What team in the AFC East will need a new head coach first out of the four? I will say that it will be the New York Jets, I think. Although it's either the New York Jets or the Miami Dolphins. We're hearing a lot of uh, a lot of Tom Brady, Derek Jeter, Miami Dolphins noise. Um, and that Sean What's Payton. What's that done with his... your day today? Have you been following that? I've just been sort of following it in in the background, you know, and, and kind of keeping tabs on it. But you think it's legit? It's, I think it's interesting noise because I have very little um, knowledge of whether it's legit, but I think the way those teams churn through coaches leads me to believe one of those teams. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, things don't go well in Miami and they're looking to make a dramatic move. The thing is Sean Payton is available to coach football right now. And uh, he's taken a, a year off and, you know, assessing his options or whatever else, but He's available come next year. And I think that means anybody who just got a job, especially in organizations that aren't run particularly uh, rationally all the time and they make snap decisions like the Miami Dolphins, I would say I wouldn't be super comfortable if I were Mike McDaniel sitting down there. You know, I'd, I wouldn't feel like I have, you know, the longest runway to screw things up, especially when you make a trade for Tyreek Hill, you've got a quarterback who's, you know, in his third season, that's the type of job where you need to win. Now the right guy has to be available. I think, but I think it is kind of funny to sit here and say that the bills and Patriots are probably still hanging on to their coaches a lot longer than the other two teams in the division. I just think it's the safe, the safe bet because those two teams go through coaches a lot. That's what they do. Uh, and until they win, they're going to keep going through coaches. And I think in some ways, Sean McDermott and Bill Belichick are, I think they're under pressure in some similar ways in a similar timetable where I don't think either one is coaching for his job in 2022, but I think both of them have, different different things to prove you know Sean McDermott needs to get that ultimate prize and get his team 
at least to the Super Bowl, I think, uh, within the next few years, or, or the heat really turns up. And I think Bill Belichick needs to show in whatever form this takes, show that this team, as he's building it now, is going to be a factor in the AFC with Mac Jones as its quarterback and and with him as the head coach, frankly, because I think he could coach another 10 years if things are going well. I think, you know, physically he's, he's up to it, but, you know, there were some comments at the owners meetings that made you wonder whether uh, Robert Kraft is hoping for, hoping for some, them to make some noise this year. So uh, I think both those guys are safe for now. And I can't say the same about the jets and dolphins coaches because until you win until you've proven anything which i don't think either of those guys have then you can't feel uh you can't feel too comfortable what kind of way are patriots fans feeling about bill belichick these days uh given their lack of activity uh so far this offseason I think people are skeptical of what's going on because, and we would say people. I'm talking about fans, fans. Not media, or anything. Like well, that. yeah, me, know, there's like, a like lot of skeptical media. Uh, there's a lot of skeptical media. Uh, Dan Orlovsky was yelling on ESPN the other day about how the biggest concern in the NFL is what the Patriots are doing with their offensive coaching staff and whether they're supporting Mac Jones enough. Because he doesn't have that not what guy. Ha- not what's happening with the Washington Commanders. No, or... not, you know, even if you're talking strictly from a football standpoint, I think right. it's an egregious statement to suggest that you were just talking about the voices that Josh Allen has in his ear. And Dan Orlovsky was saying it's so important for that quarterback to have that guy he can talk ball with. And Josh McDaniels is gone and, you know, all this. And I was like, Bill's still there. He's a pretty good guy to talk ball with, I would assume, you know, not a, not a bad guy to have, uh, you know, he does his weekly meetings with the quarterbacks and always did it with Brady. Uh, I'd say he's a decent guy to have. Uh, yes. Have your concerns over Joe judge, Matt, Patricia, whoever else has their, their hands in the cookie jar on offense, but let's not act as if Mac Jones is completely being hung out to dry, but that is a, a hot top. It's been a hot topic. I'd say on, uh, sports talk radio you kind of have to filter you know when you're kind of trying to get the temperature of the air from a fan base as large as this one there's you know twitter there's sports talk radio and then there's probably a lot of quiet people out there that are just saying in bill we trust this is the guy that gets it done uh i don't need to know his plan I'm, i'm just i just know that it'll probably work because that's the way he's done it for so long but there are a lot of people wondering like what the hell is Joe Judge and Matt Patricia doing? Why is he dropping those names when he's talking about his offensive staff? And, you know, why, you know, why aren't they doing anything, you know, to move around some money? The idea that they didn't have money. Yes, they didn't have cap space as it was constructed, but we've seen how easy it is to move around money. That's not exactly a, a good excuse for not doing anything. I think they viewed it as they spent a lot. They spent two years worth of money last year, and they think they're going to get more out of some of the guys that didn't play particularly well. But I'd say there's a fair For amount example, of people. Johnu Smith uh, was terrible. Uh, he yep. was useless. Um, Nelson Aguilar did not play particularly well. Uh, I don't think that was all Nelson Aguilar. There's a you know, you're dealing with a rookie quarterback, and he's a deep threat, and that's a part of the game that I think takes some time for young quarterbacks. 
but those are two guys. Henry Anderson was hurt all year, uh, you know, defensive end that they didn't get hardly anything out of. They restructured his contract and brought him back. Otherwise, I'd say their their free agent hall was pretty pretty successful. You're not going to bat a, a thousand in free agency, but Matt Judon had a, a good year. He faded at the end of the year, but you know I thought he was a kind of an instant impact. Hunter Henry was a, a really solid uh, tight end for them. You know, became one of Mac Jones's best friends on and off the field. So I thought you know overall, nice. yeah yeah neighbors. You know they were you know, good neighbors, you know, it's good to have a, a friendly neighbor. Um, and so they think they can get more out of, they need to become know, tutty buddies. They, you know, if, that, for that's kind of what they to were take the next step. They need to become, they tutty were, buddies. they were red zone pals. They were, uh, you know, that was his, his binky, uh, down near the goal line. Um, so, and they think, Hey, Mac Jones takes a big step that solves a lot of problems. Right. I think it's just hard to sit here in March if you're a football fan, March and April, you know, just like Bills fans. You sign Von Miller and, you know, a couple other pieces. You get O.J. Howard and these names that you recognize, even a name that you recognize as your quarterback's coach. How often does that happen? And you forget all about 13 seconds and how the season ended, and you say, hell yeah, we're – you know, let's get after it. Let's, let's strap on the helmet and play some games. And then if you're a Patriots fan, you're sitting there and you're like, they resigned Nick Folk. They resigned James White. They bring back Devin McCourty, Matthew Slater. And it's like, well, those are all know, very good players, but all, from all a solid PR or a feeling standpoint, it's like, we already know those guys. Give us right. something new. Yeah. yeah it's like new. all the activity brought you back to where you left off, which was, getting your ass kicked in the playoffs so it doesn't feel the same way but they've you know I mentioned this you know for those that that listen but talking to people about the Patriots is interesting at these league events compared to talking pe- to people about the Bills a few years ago because people will openly especially a couple of years ago, openly poke holes in what's going on with Josh Allen. Oh man, they, they reached on Josh Allen or what are they doing here? You know, people are not shy about that, but when it comes to Bill Belichick and you ask other executives or coaches, geez, what's going, what do you think's up with this? Like, why don't they have an offensive coordinator? Why don't they have this? And a lot of them kind of clam up or they kind of, they just wonder what's up Bill's sleeve. Like, I don't know what he's up to, but he's probably up to something, which is a deserved reputation. But if other you know, coaches and general managers were doing with their offensive staff what Bill is, you know, heading into a quarterback second season or, you know, not aggressively adding while the rest of the conference does. I think, you know, people would be poking some holes in it, but they've made a few interesting moves, trading for Devontae Parker, a player that Belichick really likes uh, and has for a while. Bringing back Malcolm Butler was just a, a very subtle, all of a sudden, you know, people assume that bridge was burned for a long, you know, forever after the way things ended in that Super Bowl, him getting benched, and yet he's back. So if he can play, he didn't even play last year. He was retired. So, you know, maybe that solves the, the loss of J.C. Jackson, but there's oh, a lot of that. questions. There's a lot of questions about – see, I think the J.C. Jackson loss is a fine one, and Bills fans probably – you know, Bills fans will – 
you know, because these are this is how fans are on the internet. They'll all at once make fun of the Patriots for losing J.C. Jackson, and then come October or you know last October or last December, make fun of Patriots fans because Stephon Diggs is scorching J.C. Jackson. So that was always my view of, of J.C. Jackson was J.C. Had, Jackson has a, has a lot of interceptions against Josh Allen. He had. He right. did uh, early, early career Josh Allen. Yeah. Once Stephon right. Diggs entered the picture, that's the thing about J.C. Jackson that always got me. He had crazy interception numbers, which interceptions are interceptions, but he had, I think, six of his interceptions this year came against the Jets and Sam Darnold. I mean, you know, a rookie quarterback in Zach Wilson, he picked him off at least three times. He picked off Sam Darnold twice. He picked off Trevor Lawrence picked off Matt Ryan, and I think he picked off Ryan Tannehill late mm-hmm. in that game. So not big Some games. Playoff quarterbacks in there. Yeah, not big games. And so I think he's a good player, a fine player. I don't think he's like that number one lockdown corner that Stephon Gilmore was. And that's what's interesting about the way the Patriots do business. I don't think Bill Belichick really cares about losing a guy that goes over the price that he thinks is worth it and let's 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 cross over there because you know the bills still very very well and we're talking about defensive backs and replacements and we didn't talk about this yesterday so here's a little more fresh content what are your thoughts on the jordan poyer situation which he changed agents he hired drew rosenhaus he wants a new deal Uh, he's entering the final year of his contract Uh, There's a euphoria around Bills fans after the Stephon Diggs extension. And then I and a couple other people reported that, you know, Drew Rosenhaus had a statement in which he put his name to. A lot of agents won't do that, uh, but they'll just say, hey, sources say so-and-so looks wants a new contract. Drew Rosenhaus, a fairly innocuous quote that says, we've approached the Bills about a contract extension, and Jordan very much wants to finish his career with the Buffalo Bills. And there is a surprising number of fans who are just saying, see you, dude. Hey, it was nice knowing you. Uh, Tough shit. You know, because whatever reason, he hasn't struck a chord with the fans. But Stephon Diggs, give him all the money. And obviously, he's, he's a great, he's an elite player. And he's Josh Allen's number one target. And he helps make that offense go. And they're but I just buddies. think it's funny how the line is drawn of, you know, hey, we love these guys. But as soon as somebody seems to be going against the team, I mean, shouldn't the fans be saying, find a way to pay Jordan Poyer? I mean, but it seems like there's a line drawn somewhere of, we like him, we could do without you. And I don't know if that's a defensive back thing or just defensive football in general, but I don't know that what the replacement value would be of, of player X over an all-pro safety in Jordan Poyer. Yeah, I think the safety situation is – has was one that I was following pretty closely, uh, you know, before I, I left the beat just because they were getting up there. They've been getting up there in age and they're still playing. You have to go here, Matt, by the way, I just realized what time it is. Oh no. I was, when I said between two and four, I meant starting at four. Oh, so I've got, I've got good runway here. Um, but both of those guys have been getting up there in age. They they're still playing really well. They didn't play that great, uh, in the final, moments of that chiefs game but that you know notwithstanding it, it is an, it's a disappointing reality of the way fans behave and that they will always put the laundry first it seems instead of the human beings in it 
And most cases, in most cases, not all, but in a lot of cases. And I don't think Jordan Poyer has really made any wrong steps. I know his his wife was very vocally opposed to the vaccine and, you know, was riling a lot of people up on Twitter. But I don't think Jordan himself has made, uh, you know, wrong moves in terms of not winning over the fan base. He but I do think. And yeah. from what and from what I understand from reliable sources, so so was his wife. And he was pretty quiet about the whole thing himself. Uh, and, you know, how his wife behaves on Twitter is, you know, I don't, I understand why that would bleed into how people feel about the player, but it is interesting that, you know, I think they've reached a point as a team where fans feel like, Hey, get on board or, or see you later, because there's guys that'll take a discount. There's, you know, there were those reports right before free agency, a couple of, I think it was Albert Breer said a couple of big name players have reached out to the, the bills. They really want to play, you know, that stuff gets Buffalo fans real charged up. And if you don't, if you want that new contract and the bills are, you know, it doesn't work for the bills cap and the cap comes first because they want that Super Bowl, and that's just how it is. So I do wonder how the defense would look and it's going to be a reality. They have to face whether Jordan Poyer gets sent off or not, because they're, you know, he and Micah Hyde are both getting a little bit older. How does that defense look? without those two because they make a lot of stuff work in terms of how they disguise coverage what they're able to do the way they communicate they are big time leaders in that locker room so problems that they have in in terms of depth at cornerback it's an obvious need even if you were to assume that you can't assume let's say in in fantasy land that Tredavious White is 100% healthy on opening day they still need cornerback help and he's coming off of uh, a bad knee injury that happened late in the season on Thanksgiving. So you're, you, they, they talk about it being a year long recovery process for those types of surgeries. Um, the safeties are going to be crucial. The, the fact that they have Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer back there to lean on, to help get them through, hopefully not having uh, as strong of, of cornerback play as they'd like is, is probably a paramount at the moment. Just to say, see you later, Jordan Poyer is is probably not the savviest take if you're a Bills fan. I think the the safety position in general is probably not you know the most valuable to a defense, but that specific defense it feels like the most valuable spot because that's how they built it. I think you have to pay attention to actions when it comes to you know. All these coaches will say it probably because they're on autopilot that they want to build from inside out, start in the trenches and build from inside out. The Bills did the opposite. Sean McDermott got there and he signed Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer and with his first draft pick, drafted Tredavious White. He built from the back forward. And I think that's by design. And a lot of what they've been able to do defensively has been because of those two players. A lot of the reason why you know, in those last two games, they made Mac Jones, you know, struggle. And they do the same with a lot of young quarterbacks is because of how they disguise coverages. And the years those guys have playing with one another is a big part of that. So could they replace them? Absolutely. Could you go and draft a safety in the first couple of rounds? But as we've seen with other positions, you know, simply throwing draft picks at it doesn't fix the problem. You know, defensive end, they've been throwing draft picks at 
the last couple of years, and still they felt they needed to go get Von Miller because the results weren't there quick enough. And I think the amount of reps you need to play the way that Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer do on the back end of that defense, uh, you know, can't be understated. And as we sit here and talk this through, I'm thinking Drew Rosenhaus and Jordan Poyer are in a pretty good spot here because what are the Bills going to do if Jordan Poyer decides he wants to hold out or, you know, he doesn't have all the leverage because, I, you know, I don't know if, you know, training camp holdouts are a lot more rare than they used to be. You know, the fines can add up pretty quickly. and But there is a, a bit of player empowerment happening across the league. And if Jordan Poyer wants to really press the issue, which he hasn't done yet, uh, but he's got a powerful agent and he wants a new deal. Those are the first two steps. And if the Bills can find a way to make it work, that's in their best interest in 2022 and probably 2023. But Poyer's got a little bit of leverage here because I don't know how you replace that guy immediately uh, in that defense. I sidetracked you from your, you you were finishing up with some thoughts from on the Patriots when I wanted to uh, go into our little breakout session regarding safeties and uh, whether or not they are, or defensive backs and whether or not they are uh, as interchangeable or replaceable. Uh, So we were talking about JC Jackson and then you were going to talk about something else. Yeah. I just didn't feel like JC Jackson was the massive loss that, uh, you know, people have, he's only such a massive loss in so far as we don't know exactly how the Patriots are going to replace him other than Malcolm Butler and Terrence Mitchell, two big question marks, maybe a draft pick and, you know, see where, where it goes. But I didn't think it was like a Stefan Gilmore level player for them, a good player to have, no doubt, just not quite that lockdown guy. And I, I think they felt that way for a long time. And once JC Jackson had the stats to ask for that money and, and hit the market, you know, they they were fine letting him walk and, you know, really holding the line. That's what what we were talking about that led us to that Poyer conversation was holding the line on the value of a player and the willingness to get rid of a guy a year a year early or you know that's been a thing with bill belichick i did a big story on logan mankins earlier this off season and you know one of bill belichick's most famous get rid of a guy a year too early rather than a year or two too late i mean mankins might have been one of the only players to really go toe-to-toe with belichick and get a contract earlier in his career and then you know because he held out and really you know stood his ground deep into but, the season yeah, he, he was, so This wasn't you know, just a training camp holdout. This was in week 10. And eventually got his deal, which, you know, I think speaks a lot to Mankins, how Belichick felt about him and also just his personality. He wasn't screwing around, you know, with anything that he did, including, you know, his business. So that's just been a common trait Belichick's had. And I think there's, you know, legitimate question about when you don't have the greatest quarterback of all time, how much can you afford to do that? And, you know, the Bills have not really taken that approach to this point uh, in Brandon Bean's tenure. They take care of, you know, everybody that needs taken care of with market level deals. You know, I know it's, it's popular uh, to, you know, anytime the Bills do anything, I, I texted a uh, friend of the show, Joe B., uh, I think it was last week when Joe Biscalia for people who don't follow. I feel like uh, I, I don't Joe think B. The, the no, I think people wouldn't recognize who follows him. either of us that don't follow Joe. I don't think. 
Well, I was going to say, if we called him Joe Biscalia, I feel like people wouldn't know who we were talking about. You need to call <laughs> him Joe right. B. If if they hear me talk about Joe Biscalia, you know, Chris Baker might think I'm talking about our golf buddy, who's a completely separate human, which is uh, funny. Multiple Joe Biscalias. But he tweet. I think they converted some of Ryan Bates's money or they did something that that Joe tweeted about. And, you know, the response anytime the Bills do anything, which is great for Brandon, because he's, a re- like I said, really good general manager and uh, he's a great guy, too. But anytime that he does anything, they'll make a draft pick in the third round and it'll be there. He is the wizard. He's at it again. You know, and right. jo- Joe made, you know, had a tweet that was like, well, this is pretty standard practice. <laughs> like, you know, converting this money was not some sort of wizardry. It was just kind of a thing that general managers do. But, you know. Brandon's great, but let's tone it down with the the wizard comments. Anytime they, you know, sign an extension, I mean, Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, Tredavious White, these are market level deals. They got in a little bit early and the market went up. So savvy, smart, uh, not magical, you know, signing Von Miller to that deal. Not, not exactly wizardry. It was just, you know, spending a lot of money uh, and having sunglasses meme having yes the the glasses the uh i mean i'm sure he gets to see those for doug whaley right (laughs) yeah this guy's not messing around uh he looked like you know he was from the matrix um he was certainly operating in a different universe at times when he was building that roster but um (laughs) i think how about that way let's let's stop on doug whaley for a second how about in 24 hours he went from saying Hey, the Bills are going to have to consider shopping Stephon Diggs. They can't. They can't afford him. To now, he's going to probably retire as a Buffalo Bill in in the span. I mean, could that have happened? Any because you know that the deal's close, and then all of a sudden, Doug Whaley makes those comments wherever he did on a on a podcast or I'm not I don't I'm not sure where it was, but it became a blog item. It was on Pro Football Talk, I think, and different you know the local the local uh, media outlets picked it up as a story, and. Uh, and the Bills had to just be giggling, uh, if not pissing their pants uh, in laughter, because they knew that they were on the verge of making this deal. And here's their former doofus general manager uh, talking about how they might need to trade the guy. Yeah, it's not as if Brandon Bean woke up the next day and was like, you know what? You're right. I didn't hadn't thought about that. I better call, you know, Adisa Bakari and, and hammer this thing out. Um, that was it was, you know, it was tough for doug you know as he's <laughs> he's trying to break into the it was, you know, it's been a tough april for doug the hot take game and the the you know analysis and opinion game and i like doug i i do um you know i think he's he's loose it's fun to see the doug whaley without the pressure of the gm job and uh you know the pressure of scott birch told you know making him so afraid of us that you know he really wasn't himself it's nice after you know that is now that that, is an aspect of you're absolutely right now that he's beyond that uh you know i've talked to him a few times and you know i've really enjoyed those conversations but it was uh that was a tough um a tough one for him he he, i think has the chops to make it in this and he's gonna have to learn that these things are gonna happen you're gonna you're gonna have a take and it's gonna look silly you know you just gotta you gotta move on to the next take 
trying to think like who's a who's a hot taker that you know well you don't even want a hot taker because some hot takers are like fake it till you make it they don't have a background but i'm trying to think of like a really a oh well bill polian there's a hall of famer i mean the guy eventually got knocked off at espn he had so many you know chad kelly's the best quarterback in that draft class uh you know uh, lamar jackson isn't a quarterback at all oh he had a bunch of doozies we were going to draft tom brady even though we already had peyton manning the bullshit yeah the revisionist history the you know a lot of those guys i mean look if you're gonna he's a hall gonna, of famer you know yeah i was texting somebody about him doug the other whaley day. can have so a, I, doug whaley can have a hiccup when he's given an uh, analysis off the cuff and it was a small hiccup you know i think you know it was fun it was if anything it was like you said probably fun for the the front office to giggle at as they knew that the deal was already at the finish line it was really fun it timing adds to wise. the legend of brandon bean oh the wizard he because, put, you know yeah, he, see, and, and you know what when when doug whaley said what he said people weren't laughing at like bill's fans there were there were a lot of people who obviously took it with enough gravitas that it became reported around, it was kind of like, eh, maybe it is something to consider. It's just unfortunate twist. Yeah, it was more, he just had a stronger version of what I think everybody else was thinking, which was, wow, all these receivers, Stefan Diggs' turn is coming up. He's extremely underpaid. I wonder what, he was essentially saying, I wonder what's going to happen here, right? Like you might have to move him if he wants to pull the same thing. I don't think he was saying there's no way they're ever going to be able to sign him and they better trade him now before, you know, things get ugly. I think he was more so saying, man, like he's next one way or the other, whether you move him or pay him, like somebody's got to pay him because he's way underpaid. And this is the off season of the receiver and, you know, it gets spun and, you know, the headline, it, it was just funny that it happened like 24 hours after he's saying, geez, this is one to watch. Look out. Like they might have to get rid of this guy. It's kind of like the people that, you know, say like, oh man, Sean McDermott might be under, under the gun without realizing there's no way, you know, they don't know how Stefan Diggs feels about being in Buffalo, how he feels about the organization. Just like a lot of people don't quite understand the psychological dynamic, uh, you know, between Terry Pagula and, and Sean McDermott and how, you know, the Pagulas feel about him. It can be easy to sit on the outside and think, man, he could pull a Tyree kill because look, in fairness, if he had said the same thing about Tyree kill 24 hours before the Tyree kill trade, people would have said, you're out of your mind. And then all of a sudden that trade came down. Nobody saw it coming. So I think it's a tough one for Doug. I, you know, you know, he, he's an easy punching bag on Twitter and that one made it pretty, pretty easy for those that like to, to get after him. Hey, before we talk about uh, Sabres goaltending prospect, Devin Levi, and whatever other hockey you want to talk about, Matt, I want to let everybody know that you can watch all of the basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all the goff, all that stuff, whatever you want to wager on, in fact, anything that's bettable, which in the state of New York has been rather easy and prolific, these days you want to go to a place that has a ton of tvs and that's amherst pizza and alehouse at 55 cross point parkway in getsville that's right off of millersport highway in the 990 amherst pizza and alehouse tvs in of doors out of doors 
get out there on that patio as the temperatures climb into the 70s here. Have a beer, smell the breeze, lose 25 bucks on the Knicks. Recognized by ESPN.com as Western New York's top spot to watch sports. A lot of energy in there. One of my all-time favorite places. Stop in or call for takeout and delivery, 716-625-7100. 716-625-7100. Amherst Pizza and Ale House. That's One a Gronk favorite, isn't it? I'm sorry, Matthew? That's a Gronk favorite, isn't it? The Amherst oh, yeah, Pizza yeah. and Ale House. Uh, um, when Goose had his draft party, and he ended up not getting drafted, but uh, that's where everybody ended up was at uh, Amherst Pizza and Ale House, all the Gronk brothers. Um, a lot of the Gronks have dispersed, I've learned. Uh, they uh, they have homes hither and yon, and uh, they don't necessarily, you know, they have the the house, dad, the house that they grew up in, they still have, and they sometimes pass through, but a couple of them are living in Texas and down in Florida, and I think there's only one brother who's still in uh, in Western New York. But I want to talk adventurous group. Let's do it. One thing I learned yesterday that I did not know is that you have insight, or at least you've been able to evaluate with your own eyes. Sabres goaltending prospect, Devin Levi at Northeastern. He was, of course, acquired in that Sam Reidhart trade from uh, the Florida Panthers. Seventh round draft pick. And you think, meh. What's the big deal with the seventh round draft pick? But that's what happens with goalies. There's a long long uh developmental road for them but i found it interesting um, you know sabers fans were somewhat upset that jordan uh, that that devin levi um decided to go back to northeastern but uh, what what are your thoughts on him as somebody who's played the position you went and seen him what do you think on this devin levi and his decision to uh stay in the ncaa yeah i think i I think it, people were overreacting a little bit. They were putting their defenses up, wondering this guy doesn't want to play in Buffalo and, you know, he's trying to ride it out and take off for somewhere else in free agency as college players can do. And maybe he'll do that. I don't know. I have no um, inside info one way or the other on, you know, what he'll do, but he does not sound like somebody who is doing this for that reason. He seems like he, you know, I really enjoyed watching them. I went to their regular season finale against Merrimack College. It was at Merrimack College. Senior night for them. Nice little environment at, at that barn. Um, one of my favorite things about being back in this area is the hockey East and and just like seeing those, those games on TV all the time, being in those rinks. Uh, there's something about being in a small rink, even if there's only three, 4,000 people in it, uh, that, you know, feels like home in a lot of ways. And it was a, you know, a, what a pretty rowdy. Did you get to? Did you that was the only one this year. We were, go- we were going to go to Northeastern, but for a while they weren't allowing fans. My dad went to Northeastern. My mom went to Northeastern. So, um, you know, and I wasn't, the frozen four was here, but I wasn't able to get there. We had some family in town, but, um, so we, we had that one circled on the calendar because Merrimack college is real close to where I grew up and Northeastern, um, you know, as I mentioned as a, a family school. So, but we, we have divided interests in the hockey East, uh, because my sister went to UMass, um, 
you know, I like Merrimack because I played in that rink a bunch growing up. So um, not a great, not the best year for hockey's, but that game in particular ended up, I've got the tickets for Christmas for my dad and my sister and me to go to the game just because of convenience. It was close um, and it was Northeastern. Ended up being the whole Hockey East was on the line. If Northeastern won, they were going to win the regular season title. And it was one of those hectic games, scoreless, basically the whole way through. And Northeastern got a, a last second goal to win it. But Levi was, I was texting, you know, Chris Baker before I went, like, who else do I got to watch besides Levi? And, but mostly my dad and I, it doesn't matter who's playing, we're watching the goalies. Um, con considering I played growing up, we've just always, you know, focused on the goalies and Levi is really interesting to watch because he, you know, you don't see it on TV, but during the TV timeouts, he like skates out of his, out of his crease, like 10 feet, turns around, faces the goal, does some sort of meditation routine. Um, he has a, a lot of goalies have their particular routines, but I've never quite seen a guy like kneel down and like meditate between, uh, between TV timeouts. He's extremely, extremely calm. And I say all that to say this seems like the type of guy that is very methodical and well thought out in his decisions. And, you know, Kevin Adams mentioned that Devin told him he wanted to have a season where everybody was paying attention. Not that he came out of nowhere this year, but the season that he had was pretty remarkable for Northeastern. He carried them and uh, had a ton of shutouts. Yeah. He was, he was a star for them. They didn't, they wouldn't, win the hockey East or get anywhere near where they did without him. And now he's going to have that pressure ramped up even more where everybody's watching him and people are talking about him. He's probably going to be in the Hobie Baker conversation, the whole thing. I thought that was a pretty interesting reason for wanting to come back. One of many, I'm sure I think probably enjoys being in college. Uh, you know, forget that some of these kids, you know, their college experience hasn't exactly been the normal college experience given the pandemic and everything else that came along with it. So I wouldn't necessarily panic. You know, I was had the conversation with Chris Baker because he knows better than I do about how these things go. And I thought he's an interesting case because he's not uh Portillo's the goalie from Michigan, right? The, the big kid yeah. um, who is one who probably needs a little bit more like of the technical seasoning, longer road development, because he's a big, talented, higher draft pick. Whereas Levi is a little smaller, already really sharp technically, clearly, you know, mentally uh, has extreme focus, extreme calm. So you wonder, is it time for him to just make the jump? What more can he gain? But I think what he mentioned is exactly what he has to gain feeling that pressure. And it might be more intense there than it will be in the AHL because you have the organizational pressure and the pressure of the fact that your dream is on the line when you're in the AHL, but from an atmosphere standpoint and from a pressure of carrying your team, hockey East is probably going to give you a little bit more of that. Uh, I mean, pot the bean pot the frozen four the whole a thing bus ride from rochester to albany or whatever even the ahl playoffs i mean you gotta really hunt to find those on tv whereas the hockey east playoffs are you know on television here locally they're actually now going to be on espn plus next year 
And, you know, same with the NCAA tournament ends up uh, on major broadcasts with ESPN. So you arguably have more eyes on you, I think, staying in college hockey. And as a goalie, it, it's one of those positions where it is going to take some time. And I don't think there's exa an exact right or wrong way to do it, but you don't just draft a kid and throw him into the crease in the NHL. You're talking two years down the road where maybe this kid two, three years down the road, where maybe you can get him into your NHL net. It's a trickier thing. And I give Kevin Adams a lot of credit for having the approach that he does because the other part of it is that you do need to manage those relationships with these kids. You know, it's so much different than football where you draft a guy and he's got no choice. He's yours for four years, at least in the NHL, you got to, manage these relationships and make it a place that he wants to be, make it a place that he trusts is right for his development. And part of that is trusting a guy who clearly understands what he needs mentally, emotionally, better than a lot of kids his age, it seems like, and trusting that he, you know, can make the right decision for himself. So much ado about. Oh, he's a part-time uh, monk. Yeah, basically. I mean, as I saw him do that, I thought, man, who knows where I could have gone if somebody would have taught me to do that uh, when I was, you know, well, not even 20. By the time I was 20, I was long washed up. Uh, but, you know, 16 years old, maybe I could have been Devin Levi. Uh, probably not. But, you know, he I, I think he's going to be at least all right. played for the Tibetan uh, national team. Perhaps I would I would have had to have jumped through some hoops, I think, to, uh, to make that work. Um, but I think he's going to be fine. I think it's going to be all right. I think people should take a deep breath and they do have a goalie problem. And, uh, you know, the Sabres, if they're going to turn this hot little run into, uh, you know, some positive momentum next season, I, I think goaltender is a question mark, but, and it's probably a, a long-term one, depending on how the, all these prospects work out, but, it is a tricky position. And I, I think, you know, Devin Levi seems pretty mature about how he's handling it all. And yeah, the, the Michigan goal, he's probably one to worry about because it sounds like next year he could leave if he wanted to, but he might also be looking at Devin Levi and saying, well, geez, like that guy might be better than, you know, that guy might, you know, steal some of my, my ice time if I go to Rochester. So I think, he had a chance to get a jump start on Devin Levi, but he probably also recognizes that that could be a problem for him. It could be a crowded crease. And so that, you know, is a situation to keep an eye on, but I wouldn't panic about Devin Levi. And I was texting with Baker weeks before, you know, it was still the regular season and saying, you know, people seem to think this is a foregone conclusion that he's gone, but I just don't understand that. You know, he's only really had one full college season here. Like, you know, and, Chris was, you know, kind of thinking the same thing that it was 50 50 on what was going to happen. And I don't think it's a bad thing for, for his development. Matthew, any other, uh, Sabres takes? I have, I've been watching a decent amount of Sabres. They, they caught my attention, uh, that Jack Eichel game, you know, I had to tune in for that because it's a good time to start watching them because, uh, although they did maybe hit a little turbulence, it, it's, it, the the excitement's been picking up and yes they've had their collapses they can't seem to close out a game here and there but in general you you can feel the a future is bright 
or a future is future is bright seems a little too too optimistic but the future is there is a future there's a future yeah you know there's something happening i you know another here we go with another free uh, espn plus plug but the espn plus has been a nice little way to you know watch the whole league and you know stay plugged in and i had to watch that jack eichel game because jack eichel got there got to buffalo like eight months after i did i think so like the whole jack eichel and he left like a couple months after i did so we were kind of on a similar uh timetable there and um just a fast a fascinating buffalo sports story i thought and it didn't disappoint that night was uh, had lots of fireworks it was uh, a memorable night for a lot of people and so then my curiosity was peaked like did they catch lightning in a bottle that night or tim they graham like... covered that game for the Adler. he did well that was you know part of why i was glued to it i was like man tim graham is back back on the uh on the beat here for a <laughs> night i gotta see what this is about uh and you know, I was like, you know, maybe they'll turn it into something. And, you know, they've been, I, I think it is, we talked so many times on the podcast about what it would take to, to get people back interested. It seemed like we would have Chris Baker on and say, you know, what is there to look forward to for Sabres fans? And, you know, he would, he would get creative with it, but a lot of times, you know, it was, it was grasping at straws they got a hit on these draft picks that right are that up, are you know next in year two or three picks. years yeah that'll then reach the nhl in two years but i think it goes to show you how quickly things can change how quickly now a that's, few ironic, wins. that's ironic to say how quickly things could change as they're I mean, entering their you know as they're in a decade of sure but appearance. how quickly the the feeling can change oh i see the feeling i of, see of hitting hitting this record long drought which a year ago would have been i mean you they were reaching just complete you know people just did not care they had no feeling one way or the other about the sabers they weren't mad at them and they weren't excited when they drafted players i mean they had the number one pick and it seemed like nobody cared uh and the attendance reflected that. I mean, I and I was watching a few games earlier in the year thinking, man, nobody is in this building. Like nobody cares about this team. And that can spiral on you uh, if you're an owner uh, and you're a team like. And they seem to have drawn people back in for the first time in a long time, probably since. I mean, I think Jack Eichel was a little little over the top in his, you know, oh, loudest I've ever heard it here. Uh, yeah, really. The Rick Jenneret uh, tribute came at a nice time, also. Um, yeah, I mean, they it, built it up that positive momentum. Something again. They win the game. It was. I think there they're was capitalizing on the moment. They're yeah. they're you know they had Jack Eichel in town, so it's like all right, people are going to show up, and people are going to watch, and they won. And Rick Jenneret had his night, and they sold the place out for the first time all year, first time in many many months, and they won. You know, they, they were capital, they're capitalizing on moments. And I think it actually matters when you're a young team figuring things out, you know, look, I don't, I don't know that the process to get to this point was perfect. The whole, like, let's get rid of some scouts and just video scout. Let's hire the guy that's sitting next to me to be the general manager. 
you know, because, you know, they were cutting costs during the pandemic, they hire their interim coach, they hire a general manager that had a lot of people scratching their heads, but at every turn publicly in his comments, I've been impressed with Kevin Adams for a guy that, you know, didn't come up the same way and have kind of all the, the, the training to be, you know, in front of a camera and to, I know he was a player, so it's not like it's completely foreign to him, but I feel like he's been impressive and, you know, he's made some good moves. Um, so he's got him. There is a future, whether it's bright or not, depends on a lot of different factors, but it's cool to see from afar. People get excited about the sport again, because seeing that building empty was a little jarring there for a while because, you know, hockey heaven and all that, uh, you know, there are, I mean, being here much bigger market in Boston, but you know, that place is full all the time and the Bruins are much, have been really good for a long time, but even, you know, watching games around the league, it's not as if hockey attendance as a whole is in a bad spot and Buffalo is supposed to be a strong market. Fans let them, let them know that, you know, they were checked out until further notice and Jack Eichel, you know, brought him back in. I guess people were really sad that he was gone or something, uh, according to Jack, but huh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> really. Yeah. That's been getting a lot of play around our house. Uh, it's it was the perfect response. I mean, I loved the, I you know I immediately I was only half paying attention to the TV and my head snapped around. I was like, I need to rewind this. Did he just say what I think he said? Like, and I love it because I don't know it makes people feel things. That's what you know you want out of sports. And so he just said, you know what? In that moment, snap second said, I'm going to be the villain now. I'm just going to go for it. Why not? I'm already the villain, clearly. So why not just you need lean villains into it? in sports? And when you're awful for so long, it's hard to have a villain unless it's a Tom Brady where the guy's cleat is constantly on your throat. But if you're a Sabres fan over the last 10 years, like who's your villain? You're still going back to Chara and, you know, all that shit from when the team was relevant. But the team's been bad for so long, they really even had, haven't even had any bad guys. There haven't been any, there's nobody to be upset at. You're just so miserable about your team that you, you shrug and, and hope people don't hurt you oh, too, but too badly. All right. All the villains were guys that were on their own team, you know, like Billy <laughs> Wayno and, and, you know, uh, you know, so Billy Wayno. Yeah. Wrist line. And I mean, it was those guys. Did and, you say Billy Lano? Does it, does that? Yeah. 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 Air I mean, yeah, the own owner. The owner was the villain for the, the long time. He got booed which is, at uh, Generet's, uh, Generet's uh, farewell game. So, I mean, Russ Brandon was sort of a villain there for a while. He had uh, a hand in the, the Sabres a bit. So it's fitting, too, because, you know, of course, all the comments are like, oh, man, you know, typical Boston punk. You know, it's a guy. It has to be a guy from Boston is the is the villain, you know, for Sabres fans after Tom Brady yeah. beat him up for so long and. Well, you in know, it's, football, it's a Californian, and right. for hockey, it's a Massachusetts. The coastal elites. Uh, and, you know, it, it, I just found it entertaining. It was, you know, something that got, you know, people talking about the NHL and people talking about the Sabres and, you know, got people fired up, which is... It reminds me, Matthew, you know, you were talking about the coastal aspect of it. You know, it's... And I, I don't know if you really experienced this too much. I'm trying to think if it maybe. But there was a time where Bills fans wanted nothing to do with a California quarterback. That's Trent Edwards. Um, 
but you know, it goes back to just, man, it just, they just don't work. Rob Johnson. We don't want these California quarterbacks. JP Lossman was a beach kid, right? Yes. Um, he went so, to Tulane, yeah, but he but, was originally a California kid. Yeah, but there was this vibe, you know, that was going around Western New York for a long time in the early 2000s. And you'd hear it spoken on WGR where a quarterback's name would come up and for the draft, and it would be like, nah, man, California quarterbacks, nope, like non-starter. Nope, they're no, they're no good. They, they can't handle it here. Well. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers wouldn't have been able to. Wouldn't have been able to hack it uh, in Buffalo. He only made it work in Green Bay, and it, it's it is funny that they ended up with a California quarterback and Josh Allen. But I do think a big part of uh, you know his arc and hit the way people love him is his origin story of yeah he's a California guy, but he's a farm farm guy. He's not a a beach guy. He's a farm guy. It's like it's Logan the- Mankins was a California farm guy. Not you know you don't think of the California farm guys as the same as you do the guys from Orange County. What's the word I'm looking for? It's the, it's the turn. It's not a, it's not counterintuitive. It's not the counterbalance. It's, but it's similar to that whole, uh, he's a, he's a quarterback who just happens to play, or he's a linebacker who happens to play yeah. quarterback, which was Jim, the Jim Kelly thing. Um, there's a, this duality of he's not what he seems. He's some, he's us. He's us. Yeah, he's he's, really he's got that blue collar vibe. He's got that, you know, toughness and it's all panned out for Josh Allen. It has been like the perfect marriage. The dichotomy, of, I guess, is the word I'm looking yeah. for. I don't think that's the exact word I'm looking for. But he's been the perfect type of quarterback to be, you know, in Buffalo from a personality standpoint, the, the exact type of guy that right. fans fall in love with, regardless he of grew what up position nowhere they near play. a beach. I mean, he would have had to drive no. hours to get to a beach. No, it's not a, it's not a concocted, uh, ends up, you know, in the Rocky mountains, slinging it at, at altitude, you know, mile high, a mile and a half, uh, up in the mountains in Laramie. Yeah. It's not a made up constructed narrative. It is his origin story. It is him. And yeah, now he spends a lot of time in LA and on the beach, but you know, when you sign a $250 million contract, I think all of us would have a couple of homes and probably pick some of them near the water. Um, yeah, I'm not but, buying in Fresno if I ever become a multimillionaire. No. And yeah, you'll, you know, I think anybody in Buffalo, uh, you know, who loves Buffalo, I include myself in that group. If I had millions of dollars, I would have still have a home in Buffalo. And then I would go, you know, have another home somewhere else when it's freezing cold and snowing. I mean, if you have the money to do it and the, uh, the, the flexibility and the freedom in your career of choice, which Josh Allen does, uh, I don't think anybody faults him for that, but he has been the perfect kind of guy. I I find it interesting. The, the difference between Josh Allen and Jack Eichel and how people felt about them. A lot of it, I think is just success. If, if the Sabres were good, then people would have loved Jack Eichel the same way. And he, you know, would have loved Buffalo. Josh Allen got good and the team got good and, you know, and his personality meshed. I think a lot of people want to extrapolate and say, no, it actually starts with the personality because of Josh's personality. Right. That's why the bills got good. And that's why he got good. And because Jack is an asshole, that's why the Sabres weren't good. And that's why right. he wasn't that good. And that's why we didn't like him. Maybe. Uh, I think there was probably, you know, you know, people that would tell you he wasn't the best in the locker room 
you know, Jack, you know, wasn't the best leader, wasn't this or that, but also at 18 years old, he got propped into a situation where he had to be. And he was bigger tank. than the franchise before he even put on the sweater. Right. So I, I have a little and bit I don't more. Mean as his, I don't mean that as his attitude of being that, but the Sabres by definition of throwing away two seasons to get him insisted upon the, the world that this, this kid was more important than, than two full seasons. He's bigger. He's bigger than every, and anybody here. Yeah. And they, he jumps into the lineup right away. He's the captain probably way earlier than he should have been. Maybe he never should have been. Uh, and so I don't fully blame Jack Eichel for uh, perhaps not handling himself the best when he was 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, you know, that's a young age to be thrown into a messy, toxic, already toxic situation uh, with a franchise that was struggling. So who knows, maybe their personalities had something to do with it because Josh Allen got thrown into a franchise that to that point was pretty lousy, but had already established a little bit of a foundation of competing without him. Uh, Sean McDermott got the team to the playoffs and made it pretty clear I don't know that that is kind of an interesting juxtaposition with the two teams is like one guy came in and tried to win and it worked uh, right after the tank clearly hadn't worked. It was like the bills just pressed all the right buttons. Uh, it's kind of like, it's like the Pagulas are playing two hands in poker. They tried them, you know, tried them both, you know, and they're like, all right, you know, we'll press these buttons with the Sabres. That didn't work. I guess we'll try these ones with the bills and, you know, we're bound to get one of them. Right. <laughs> And it worked out. You know, Matthew, it seems as though we could do uh, this every day. We could. Virtually without commercial interruption. Imagine how easier it would be if we had commercials every 20 minutes. We could That's sit. That's true. If we had a producer and, you know, had some guests calling in. Sounds like you might be on to something. Hmm. Something to think about. I appreciate you uh, putting up with this uh, two days in a row. I appreciate you having me two days in a row. People seem to listen. I realized that I accidentally mentioned Blaine Gabbert on the last podcast and somebody caught it. I didn't even catch it. That's how naturally it comes to me. Jonah Javad mentioned Blaine Gabbert, I think. I did when we were talking about Tom Brady, but Jonah might have too. Oh, you did. That's right. That's right. Um, but and I didn't even do it not, on purpose. That was not early in the news in the uh, in the podcast either. So somebody endured that steaming pile that I posted online yesterday. The conversation was great. I enjoyed it. I loved. Jo- I haven't spoken to Jonah in, in months. Um, I loved it, and I was pissed the hell off when I listened back to it when I was producing it. So. Here we are again. Why you need a this producer. Is a, this is a make good. A do-over, a mulligan. Um, have a good week. Hey, right back at you. Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic. Much love to him and uh, my thanks to you, uh, the audience, for listening or watching on YouTube. To Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK CPAs and Business Consultants. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. 
CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you. We'll